we believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. And let the people sing praises. And if something causes you embarrassment, if something humbles you, if something brings you to a place where you feel shame or whatever, it can immediately use for good if you can receive that humility. And if our lives can be a pattern of self-effacing ourselves before the Lord and serving others, we will do very good in life and we will fulfill the purposes in our life. But if we have too much pride that we never are willing to repent and trust in Jesus, or we give our life to Jesus, but our pride constantly hinders how he can use us, then we we are wasting our life. Humility is the one attribute by which so many other good ones come forth from our life when it is demonstrated in our hearts, in our standing before the Lord. And throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, humility is always in. Our religion and our self-imposed and self-made religion will never save us. It's going to be our faith in Jesus that always saves us. Brokenness before the Lord And if we humble ourselves in this life and commit ourselves to him who is faithful, like we saw in 1 Peter, he will lift us up in due time. And it's not about being lifted up in time. It's not about a wrong in time being made straight and you being vindicated or me being vindicated, us being justified because of some evil or injustice. It's not about time. It is always about eternity. The scales of justice balance out perfectly in eternity And humility is the attribute that transcends time, space, and matter into an effective and abundant entrance into the kingdom, whereas pride will keep us from it. And it's it's hard to be laughed at. It's hard to be humbled or, you know, whatever. But you learn that humility and brokenness are great attributes to have in our life. And we are so much more likely to fulfill God's will in our life if we have humility, true humility as a disposition before God and brokenness before God and in how we look at people and how we look at his call in our life. Verse 12, we read on, Then he, Jesus, also said to him who invited him. Okay, so let's shift gears. Jesus addressed all the invited guests. Now he's addressing the boss of the bosses, the leader of the leaders. Now he's addressing the big boss. He's addressing his host. When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Silence for everybody. Then he addresses all the invited guests, and now he's addressing the host in his house, 
So this has a very specific, now everyone else is hearing it. So the context overflows, but contextually, he's, he's talking to one person. It's like if you're, if you're at dinner with your family and dad's talking to Hannah, but you know, it's directed to Hannah, but it really affects Luke and Tim as well, right? It has that idea like you're still there. You're still part of the conversation. It's like, not like he's talking to him privately. Hey, I want to talk to you privately. Listen, when you invite people over, don't invite your rich neighbors. I can pay you back. Invite the poor, the blind, and the lame, the maim, you know? He's like, he didn't do that. It's all, it's, it's a personal directed word, but it's in a public context. So there's lessons here for those listening, but the context is this man. So at this dinner table, what Jesus is saying is that these guys showed up trying to move up in their pecking order and to be important and be seen as important, like Roman senators, if you will. And this man, who's the leader of the Pharisees, Jesus is now kind of peeling back his heart a little bit. And it would seem by implication, he's doing this with an ulterior motive. It would seem by what Jesus is saying you shouldn't have motives for. It could have been his motives. That I do this for you, you do that for me, right? We all understand that. Hey, I do this for you, and you do that for me. That's how government works, by the way, right? So we'll do this. The Department of Defense will do this for the CIA, and then the CIA will do that for them. In return, you give us this intel. The FBI gives us that, and we all work together. Or you know, the sheriffs will give this for that, and then you know, Newport police will cooperate and give us this information. We can work together on this. It's, and then you, know, you just get these. We're always looking for mutually beneficial things, but what we're really looking for is mutually beneficial alignments and collaborations that raise our stature and resources in time, space, and matter. Really. You know, that's pretty much insider trading. You might have seen it this week. An NFL player is going to prison because he did insider trading. He had a friend that went to one of the Ivy League schools that tipped him off on some things, and he's apologized for it. He's going to prison. It's a fact. But He's apologized for embarrassing. He was released by his NFL team this week when he was convicted. And, but see, he's here and he's got an important friend there and they collaborated together with inside trader information to make a lot of money. That's the type of collaboration that the world looks for. I do this for you, you do that for me. Most of you in any kind of business understand that's often how it works. I scratch your back, you scratch my back. That's not how the kingdom works. We don't do, in the name of Jesus Christ, good things for people. We're not down there at labor of love, so somebody will come do something for us here at WG. That's not our motive. We're down there at labor of love because we love unconditionally. We see people in need of a savior. See, it's always dangerous when you see consumers instead of people. Let me say that again. It's always dangerous when you see consumers instead of people. People have supreme value with the Lord, but many people look at people as a consumer base by which they can derive something from. Governments take census so they can tax for larger amounts of money, generally speaking. You have more followers on Facebook or social media so you can get more from your advertisers. There's, you know, so however it works, it works that way. But it's not so at the kingdom because we're always called to be the servant And we are never called to serve people as a means to an end. So if the first lesson to the the group of people, invited guests, was about humility, the second lesson to the inviter is about humanity. Because it's about people. It's not about a big event 
perfect sound mix, big names, all these kind of things. We're not trying to build an empire, an organization. It's about people. By the way, something that struck me years ago when watching Mein Kampf on uh, Hitler and the rise of Nazi Germany, something very interesting. Some of you may know this if you know your history, but Hitler painted. Did you know that? Hitler was an artist. Yeah. He painted a lot between World War I and World War II. Of course, he was a veteran of World War I. But the fascinating thing that I observed when watching Mein Kampf about Hitler and his paintings, it struck me, and they didn't even point it out, but it struck me as being very interesting, is you know what, was, what he painted and what he didn't paint. I'll tell you what he painted. He painted cities, buildings, villages. But you know it was never in any of his paintings? People. He never saw people. Hitler saw the thousand-year reign of the Third Reich. He saw conquering the world. He saw resources, government, power, survival of the fittest. He was a Darwinist. And his, his eugenics and his whole idea of breeding out bad breeds of people and focusing on good breeds of people as if he's like an American Kennel Club or something. That's how he thought. But he never saw people in his paintings. And you see his paintings to this day. It's buildings or cities with nobody in them. You do not want to see the planet like Adolf Hitler saw the planet. Kingdoms, but not people. The kingdom of God is people. And it's not the people that can benefit us and help us move upward. It's the people who we can wash their feet and serve them. Jesus said to his apostles, I have given you an example as you shall do. And blessed are you if you follow my example. You serve people. You serve the blind, the lame, and the maimed. You serve those that can give you nothing back. And that's the best type of service there is anyways. Because it's unconditional love. It's unconditional service. We, we need to check our hearts, and I speak for myself as well, why we do what we do sometimes. It, it's very important to just serve people unconditionally. Because you don't know what the Lord's wanting to teach you in that situation. We don't want to see a planet of buildings without people. And we don't want to just see people that can raise our stature or our payroll or work a good business deal with us. We want to see people who need a savior. We want to serve people who are poor, maimed, lame, and blind. We want to serve humanity. You know, you find it's a really bad sign for an individual or a family and most particularly a government when they dehumanize humanity. Whether it's the elderly or the unborn or the undesirables. Of course, you know, that's what Hitler did. He he just started with what most people felt were like agreeably as Darwinist undesirables. And then he just started going for all the different people groups that weren't his people group. But he kind of started with a, 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 a bare minimum. See, he got, all the, he got Germany to agree they didn't like the Jews. And then all the undesirables. And as a whole, uh, middle class and upper middle class Germany could agree with that. And then let them take over the Lutheran church and then bring religion into it. But by the time he was done, he's trying to eradicate every people group on the planet except his. That's how it works. We need to value every human being. And, you know, and there are people who don't value. Um, there are parts of the world that are very barbaric, and they, 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 they dehumanize people. They dehumanize women. Uh, 
you know, just being involved with Shepherd's Field ministry in China for years and yeah, new government policy, they're, they're sending all the orphans back to their regions. My wife's like, why would they do that for all these years? It's a, it's a government-imposed thing by the communist government to, they're, you know, they're, generally the bigger government gets, the less effective it is, especially if it's a godless government like the Chinese government because they're communists and they don't believe in God. They believe that they are God. <clears throat> and so when Luke Caldwell talked about adopting physically handicapped kid in China, children, which he did uh, up there in Boise. But when he walked around parts of China with his children he was adopting, that people would hiss. They would literally hiss, and they would, like, spit and, and make gestures. It just can never dehumanize. And even if people, like, so just because someone sees things that way doesn't mean we should see things that way. And it, because if someone evaluates my life and your life, we still have to value their life. See, here's, here's what happens is like, we often get personal. If someone devaluates it, like, let's say, you know, the vast majority, majority of the Muslim world and uh, many of those Islamic states over there in the Middle East, they, they consider us the great Satan, America, the West, anything like that. And they, de- they, they see life differently and they devalue us and they demean us and they see us less than themselves. So we naturally would want to respond the same way. Like, well, you devalue me, I devalue you. I can't relate to you. I can't relate to people who strap bombs to their body and just blow themselves up and think it's going to please God. So I, I, in a sense, I repulse you. But that's what's dangerous. And the Lord has taught me that we have to be really careful that we don't retaliate with dehumanization of people just because they dehumanize people. You follow me? Just because someone dehumanizes you and I doesn't mean we dehumanize them. Because this is what separates us from people like that. This is what brings Christ in the equation in a world in need of a savior. Because those people are alive for one reason, not to blow themselves up in the name of religion, but to be saved in the name of the great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's why they're alive. And if we dehumanize them as a responsive uh, act of racism against them because of their racism against us, then we are no better than they are. And we degrade the purpose of Christ in his coming. We can't let someone dehumanizing us make us dehumanize them. We need to serve people unconditionally. And there's a lot of parts of the world I'm in no hurry to go to, nor do I ever. I'll be quite happy if I never go to certain parts of the world in my my life. I'll be happy to send your children in Jesus' name with our resources. But I don't want to go. And I think many of you can relate to that. But nonetheless, we need to value those people and those parts of the world. And seek to understand them and bring Christ into the equation. We, need, we don't want to just bless people because they can bless us back in the temporal. We want to bless people because we value all humanity. We're the exact polar opposite of Hitler and his death camps. Of Stalin and his death camps. And, and the Camarouge and their death camps. We're the exact opposite. All these governments and cultures of death in human history, from Rome to Hannibal and all these people, we are the exact opposite. We're the church. And Jesus came to give life, and that more abundantly. And that's who we are. Verse 15, the conversation expands. We're still at the dinner table. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, so this is one of the group invited, heard these things, and he said to him, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then he, Jesus, said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things 
are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. And I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. And I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So these servants came and reported these things to his master. And then his master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is no room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who are invited shall taste my supper." As far as we know, this is the end of the conversation at the dinner table because the next verse talks about a great multitude. It's a different audience. This all happened in one night on a Sabbath at the leader of the Pharisee's house. Now, Jesus, obviously, (laughs) because he spoke truth and he's God, people would, he would get responses you know Zacchaeus is like if I've sold anything I will fold I will repay fourfold right like Jesus brought responses from people and here this one person at the table goes like he knows he knows it's supernatural what's going on and he says uh blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God like it's kind of a random statement right it's like Peter saying should we build tents for you and them you know, the Mount of Transfigurations, it's kind of got like, it's like, uh, 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 blessed, blessed he eats bread in the kingdom of God. Because what are they doing? They're eating bread at the Pharisee's house. And blessed are those who eat yeah, the, the kingdom of God. Awkward moment, right? Everyone's like, you know, like, what, what, so what was that all about? And then Jesus tells another parable. There's another parable, and this is a parable of the invited guest, right? The great supper. Oh, great supper. But we see the excuses, right? So look at this. <clears throat> With one accord, they began to make excuses. You know, I just love what a contrast the church is in the book of Acts. They're in one accord as they're available to the Lord and what God wanted to do. In this parable, these excuses are of one accord. Is it A? Oh, I just bought property. Is it B? I just bought new investments. C, I just got married. Family stuff. Or is it D, all the above? They're all of one accord. They're all excuses. They're all excuses. They're all excuses in this parable for why they can't go to the feast. And the feast represents the kingdom. And isn't it interesting that as those who would have been prestigious and invited, the religious leaders, have excuses for not going to the feast, suddenly, here we go again, we've got the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. So now Jesus is expanding what he just taught previously in this setting, and now he's expanding as to who is going to the feast, because they're invited. So the religious leaders would be like the three people with the excuses for not coming, but whoever wants to come, they can come. The common people heard Jesus gladly, and, and they can come, and they're welcome to come. The poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. It's the same titles that he gave for humanity when he was addressing the one who invited everyone to his house, the, the ruler, the leader of the Pharisees. And the invitation goes out, and he says in verse 24, those are invited, they're not, they're not going to be here, but these other ones, they get to come. And, it, you know, really, we see that with Jesus, that the Jews 
nationally, in a sense, rejected the gospel, and then the gospel was extended to the Gentiles, all the nations. That's the history of the book of Acts. That's the history of the church age. While the gospel is to the Jew first, ethnically, all Jews are welcome to come. That's why we have missionaries that we know who are there in Tel Aviv right now in Israel. That's why my my in-laws, Jim Gallagher, goes to Palestine, to the region with the Palestinian territories, and he does stuff in Tel Aviv, and he visits Palestinian pastors. He visits Messianic pastors, like the gospel's for the Jews first. So it's not like they're excluded. But God prophesied throughout the Old Testament that his plan wasn't just for the Jews, but for all nations. And this poor, blind, maimed, and, and lame kind of comes in that classification as well. And then we know in the book of Acts, in the early church, when all those things are happening, the church leaders, even within their et- Jewish ethnic culture, had to defend that God was saving people who were not of a Jewish background. But we close tonight, if we think about how the first lesson was for humility and the second lesson was for humanity, the third lesson has to be no excuses. Just no excuses. Just no excuses with God. You know, if we can, if we can get through life and get to the end of our life where we don't make excuses, man, we have really done well in life. Just, I've shared with this quite a bit recently in the pulpit just through various other topics that I'm talking about, but it's amazing how we make excuses. Many of you grew up watching Happy Days where Fonzie could never say he was sorry, he was wrong. I was roo-roo-roo, right? It's like you could just never say he was wrong, and it's like, we're like that. Yeah, but, you know, and I mentioned when Jennifer said to me, just, just say you're sorry and don't, just say you're sorry and let that be the end of the sentence. You don't have to put a comma, but the dogs provoked me, but, you know, the neighbors were playing the drums at four on a Saturday, you know, it's like, just... I've gotten wiser. I just say I'm sorry. Because that usually, nine out of ten times, that works anyways, right? It really does. But we we just always want excuses. Even recently, I had a situation where I was apologizing for something. And in a text, I just, I just wanted to explain why I was like that. And I'm like, forget it. It doesn't matter. Just say you're sorry. And then they responded, thank you. And we don't need the excuse. I've told the story a few times, but I close with this story about me, myself, and Pastor Chuck. Early on at staff at Calvary in the summer of 2000, and had all these different things we were doing with the bands and all this stuff, and we're about the Lord's business. And we're in that staff meeting, and Chuck asked which pastors would be willing to host a family camp. At that time, they were doing three family camps a summer. And uh, I remember, like, John Mann's like, I could do one. And then someone else raised their hand, probably like Terry Reynolds. I can do one. And I said, oh, oh, Chuck, I can't because. And I'll never forget what he did. He just waved his hand. Like just. Just like that. Like just stop. Man, top five embarrassing moments in my life. All those pastors. That was a. That was a good gut. I had it coming. But Chuck, I mean, if I wasn't so busy traveling the country with Jeremy Camp and Phil Wickman, I'd do that for you. Like, who, who's, who's, who's paying? Is Jeremy Camp paying you? Phil Wickham? Who's paying you? He didn't reprove me. He just did that. He didn't say anything. He just went, stop. The hand motion. Now, I'll tell you what. Next year, 2001, we're ready for that staff meeting. Okay. All right. Hey, John, man, get behind me. Charlie, sit over there. 
because there's only two family camps the next year. And he, that question went out. I was like, this is my, not my first rodeo. I'll do it. It's the only one I did. We got the flu. We had the flu at family camp. But by golly, we were there. <laughs> you know, and it's like, just no excuses. Just, that's why the Bible always says this today. If serving the Lord is dependent upon something favorable, or, oh, I've got a new business adventure, I've got a new property, like, forget it. Just either, you're here to serve the Lord. And if he says, just, if you're called to do it, do it. And if you're not, then don't make excuses. Just do it. No excuses. Humility, humanity, no excuses. We don't need excuses. Just do what the Lord's calling you to do as best you can discern with steps of faith and obedience. Amen? Yeah. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed.